Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Good morning. Good morning. Am I coming through? Yes. I was surprised that I was thinking, as soon as Martin said, look at your hands then, they, he has a bit of a joke with Simon about me and my soft hands, so I thought that was going to be my... Uh, not very good at that kind of thing. Well, this morning we're going to be starting a new series, which we've called Grow Up. I know the up's above the grow, so it looks like it's up grow. The series is actually called Grow Up. We're going to be looking at the book of James during these five weeks, and what he says about maturing in faith, what it means to mature in our faith and to be made whole. So that's what we're going to be looking at over these five weeks. And James is a brilliant book to read. It's a really good book to read. It has so many nuggets in it, so many moments of wisdom, phrases and words of wisdom within it. And it's also a really easy read. It's one of those books where you can open it up and quite easily find yourselves at the end of the book without realising you'd been reading it for that long. So let me encourage you, as we go through this book over the next five weeks, why don't you open up that book when you're at home? This isn't just a series that we're doing on a Sunday morning, but let's make it a series that we're doing in our lives. We're looking through the book of James. And then you can come to a Sunday and you'll get so much more from it when you understand a bit more of what's going on, the whole context of the book and everything else. Um, So yeah, why don't you download, there's so many apps. Um, The Bible app is a great app for reading the Bible. If you've got the Bible app, it has different uh, plans where it'll give you notification each day to read Maybe it's, it's a chapter a day, for example, and it will give you a notification at whatever time you set, you set it at to read that chapter. So it might be a good one to download the Bible app. It's called YouVersion on uh, the app stores. Um, as we're going into this book, we're, we're doing this book for five weeks. So I thought it would be good to start by getting a real understanding of it, uh, the author and the intention behind it. So we're going to turn our attention to the screens uh, as the amazing Bible project introduces this book. The letter of James, or at least that's his name in English. If you look in the Greek, you will see that his name is Jakobas, which translates his Hebrew name Yaakov. And that's why most ancient and modern translations render his name as Jacob. That's what we're going to call him in this video. Now, there are many Jacobs in the New Testament. Two of them belong to Jesus' inner circle of the 12 disciples. But this letter comes from the Jacob, who was the half-brother of Jesus himself. Now, we learn this Jacob's story from the book of Acts and from Paul's letters. After Peter moved on from Jerusalem to go start new churches, Jesus' half-brother Jacob rose to prominence as a leader in the mother church in Jerusalem. It was made up mostly of Messianic or Christian Jews. 
This was the first Christian community ever, and we know that it fell on hard times during the 20 years that Jacob was its leader. There was a famine that led to great poverty in the region, and these Messianic Jews were being persecuted by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. But through it all, Jacob was known as a pillar of the Jerusalem church. He was also known as a peacemaker who led with wisdom and courage until he was tragically murdered. And in this book, we have the legacy of Jacob's teaching and wisdom condensed into a short and very powerful work. The book begins like a letter. He greets all the Messianic Jews who were living outside the land of Israel. But this does not read like one of Paul's letters where he addresses specific problems in one local church. Rather, this book is a summary of Jacob's sage wisdom for any and every community of Jesus' followers. And Jacob's goal isn't to teach new theological information. Rather, he wants to get in your business and challenge how you live. Jacob's wisdom has been heavily influenced by two sources. The first is Jesus' teaching about life in the kingdom of God, especially the Sermon on the Mount, which he's constantly echoing and quoting in the book. The second key influence is the biblical wisdom book of Proverbs, especially the poems in Proverbs 1 through 9. Jacob literally grew up with Jesus and with the book of Proverbs. And so now his own teaching sounds like them. It's stamped by their language and imagery. The book consists of short, challenging wisdom speeches that are full of metaphors and easy-to-memorize one-liners. And in essence, Jacob is calling the Messianic community to become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. The body of the book is in chapters 2 through 5, which consist of 12 short teachings that call God's people to wholehearted devotion to the way of Jesus. And altogether, they don't develop one main idea in a linear way. Each teaching kind of stands alone and concludes with a catchy one-liner. But all of these teachings are connected through key repeated words and themes. It's really cool. At the opening of the book's body, there are two teachings. First, about favoritism and love. Jacob exposes how we tend to show favor to people who can benefit us, and we neglect people who can't, usually because they're needy. Jacob says this is the opposite of love as Jesus defined it. He goes on to show what genuine faith does and does not look like. So if someone says that they have faith in God, but neglects people who are needy or poor, this person's faith is dead, he says. Their actions betray what they say they believe, and genuine faith always results in obedience to Jesus' teachings. Now, scattered throughout the body of the book, we find three different places where Jacob develops Jesus' own teaching about our words. So, with the same mouth, we unleash pain upon people and then go offer praise to God. So messed up. And also, we judge people and then go talk badly about them behind their backs. And we also all tend to distort the truth to our own advantage. How we talk about people opens up a window into our hearts and our core values. Our words tell the real truth about our character. Jacob also believes that God's kingdom community, as Jesus taught about it, is the kind of place where the divisions created by wealth and social status are dismantled. So he warns first about the arrogance that wealth can create in people who believe it will be around forever. He says, no, your wealth will one day rot just like you. In contrast, God's people are to live with patience and hope for Jesus' return to set all things right. And this should inspire a life of faith-filled prayer. 
Now, this part of the book, all of these teachings, they're so powerful and there's way more than we have time for in this video. But seriously, read all of them and slowly. Now, placed in front of these 12 wise teachings is the introductory chapter. It's a flowing stream of wise teachings and one-liners, and they're designed to sum up the main ideas of the entire book. This chapter actually introduces you to all the key words and themes that you're going to meet in chapters 2 through 5. Jacob opens by saying that he knows from personal experience, life is hard. He was martyred, after all, not long after writing this letter. But he believes that life's trials and hardships are actually paradoxical gifts that can produce endurance and shape our character. God can do amazing work inside of us in the midst of suffering and help us become perfect and complete. Now, that word perfect, it's really important for Jacob. He repeats it seven times in the book. In biblical Hebrew and in Greek, this word refers to wholeness. It means living a completely integrated life where your actions are always consistent with the values and beliefs that you've received from Jesus. Jacob knows that most of us actually live as fractured people with big inconsistencies in our character. We are all more compromised than we want to admit. However, God is on a mission to restore fractured people to make them whole. And it begins with wisdom, the ability to see my hardships through a new perspective. God will generously give this kind of wisdom to people who ask for it in faith without doubting God's character. And when we realize our humble and frail place before God, we are forced to choose between anxiety or trust. And true wisdom means choosing to believe that God is good despite my circumstances. So if it's poverty that's forcing you into hard times in life, Jacob says, try and view it as a gift that forces you to trust in God alone. And besides, wealth is fleeting. It's all going to pass away like wildflowers in the summer heat. And so when we do fall into hard times, don't accuse God. Rather, let your circumstances teach you what Jesus taught about God's character, that the Father is generous, that he's there to meet us in our pain, and that he's trustworthy. It's this God who through Jesus has given us new birth to become new kinds of humans who can face their suffering with total trust in the Father, just like Jesus did. And this new humanity is something we discover when we not only listen to God's word, but do what it says. Jacob calls God's word here the perfect Torah of freedom. He's referring here to the greatest command of the Torah as passed on to us through Jesus, that he freed us to love God and love our neighbor. And Jacob shows practically what that kind of love looks like. It means speaking to others in a kind and loving way. It means serving the poor. And it means living with wholehearted devotion to God alone. Now you can see how this opening chapter contains all the key words and ideas explored more deeply in the 12 teachings of chapters 2 through 5. Jacob immersed himself in the wisdom of Jesus and of the Proverbs, and he's given us a great gift in this book of his own wisdom. This is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those who want to follow Jesus. And that is what the book of James, or Jacob, is all about. Well, aren't the Bible projects so good? So good. They make it so simple. And you're all now experts in James. So we're going to do a quiz. Um, no, we're not. We're not going to do a quiz. Don't worry. Um, one thing with something like that, there's a lot of information. A lot of information squeezed into eight minutes. So let me just note a couple of the highlights. A couple of the highlights that are probably worth knowing as we go through this book. So the author of the letter 
is James, otherwise known as Jacob. But to avoid confusion throughout this series, we're going to call him James because that is how most people know him. And he was not only Jesus's half brother, but he was also the leader of the mother church in Jerusalem. And this, this church in Jerusalem was the first real Christian community ever. So he led the mother church in Jerusalem that was the first Christian community ever. And as he was leading it, he led it for 20 years and they went through some really difficult times. So in these 20 years, there was famine and poverty and extreme persecution. But James, as he led it, was known as by those around, those in the Christian community and those not, he was known as a pillar of the Christian church and as someone who led with great wisdom and with courage. So what this book is, it's James giving this wisdom into, putting this wisdom into a letter. He seeks to kind of put together the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs that he lived his life by and the experiences and teachings of Jesus. So James is basically a mesh of those two things, the Proverbs, bits of wisdom, moments of wisdom and going, what does that look like in the face of who Jesus is and what he taught us to do? How do I put together the book of Proverbs and Jesus's teaching to love God and love neighbour? So it's been influenced by those two things heavily. And it's the whole book is an attempt to give wisdom by joining them together, looking at what it looks like for us to be wise by loving God and loving neighbour. So that's basically the book of James. And that's what we need to know. They're the, mo- the things we really need to know as we dive deeper into it over the next five weeks. I love the phrase. I don't know if anyone else noticed the phrase that the Bible Project used. The one that said, James is trying to get in your business and challenge how you live. That is basically what this book is all about. James is trying to get in your business and challenge how you live. So over these five weeks, we're going to be challenged. We're going to be looking introspectively at ourselves. What are we, how are we living? What are we like? And are we wise in loving God and loving others? That's what James is going to be challenging us all on over these few weeks. And it's looking at how God calls us to wholeness. This is something that James is passionate about. This word perfect, this wholeness, this fullness of who God has called us to be. How can we be wise by taking some of the wisdom of God and some of these teachings that Jesus did, even in the midst of trials that we face? And how can we grow in that place? So this morning, we're going to be looking at the first chapter of this uh, this book. And it's a fairly long passage. And I, I realise that I've led worship and I'm preaching now, so you're probably quite sick of my voice. So I've asked Sarah, will you come and uh, read the first 
chapter, fairly long reading uh, to us. So I'm reading James 1, uh, the whole of James 1. So James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun will rise, scorching heat, and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away, even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. <clears throat> Do not be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly heights, lights, um, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give birth. Sorry, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous, um, the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which, you can, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious, yet does not keep a tight rein of his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the word. Amen. Thank you very much. That was a long old read. There's a lot in that opening chapter. As the Bible Project video explained, James introduces all of his key themes in this one chapter. He introduces all of the themes that we're going to go on to speak about over the next 
five weeks. So I'm going to just be focusing this morning on two of those, the two main themes in this chapter. You may see, if you've got your Bibles on you, it might be worth having them open because we're going to be going through them a little bit. But the two titles that we have in our Bibles, that is Trials and Temptations and Listening and Doing. Trials and Temptations and Listening and Doing. As I mentioned, this series we've called Grow Up. And we've said that that's because James is giving us wisdom in what it looks like to mature or be made whole as followers of Jesus. And like I said a moment ago, James was leading the church in Jerusalem for 20 years through these times that were really difficult. And it's really key as we read this book that we understand that that is what has happened. That's what's led James to this place. His past has been leading a church through really difficult times. So it makes sense that he starts his letter by encouraging the readers that the difficult times they have gone through has given them an opportunity to grow stronger in their faith. The difficult times they have gone through, James says, has given them an opportunity to grow stronger in their faith. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James here is even suggesting that we should consider it joy to face a trial. Consider it joy to face a trial. And I don't know about you, but even as that said, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. I feel a little bit uncomfortable to consider trials or difficult times as a joy. What does James really mean when he says, consider it a joy to face trials? One of the people in my life that I have admired most is a close family friend called Kerry. And she, to me, epitomised what it looks like to show faith and growth in the midst of a trial. Kerry was um, 22 when doctors found cancer in her face. And she had a really difficult journey before passing away a couple of years ago. Um, But through her horrendous situation. She influenced hundreds, if not thousands, of people. And she showed amazing faith and managed to choose joy in it. And I just want to read you a short, uh, a short part of a blog that she wrote after getting her terminal diagnosis. Um, it says this. This season has been one Sorry. This season has been one long, continuous journey of refinement for myself as a person and also in... Sorry. 
for myself as a person and also in understanding my faith. Life has been a lot of things recently, but consistently it's been tough. In the unknown and uncertainty, I've repeatedly returned to the phrase, choose joy. For the best part of a year, I've been undergoing treatment for cancer that was found in my face in December 2017. At the start of February, I was told that my scans were clear and my life could finally commence again. Three weeks later, I was told the cancer had regrown in my lungs. There are now tumours throughout my body and that are treatable but no longer curable. After riding the incredible high of being told I was free of cancer, I was then told I had decisions to make regarding the quality of my remaining life. Through this time, I've found that happiness and joy are very different. Happiness is circumstantial, an emotional response, an emotional reaction to situations you find yourself in and a response to what you enjoy. Joy is something your soul experiences, something your heart responds to through knowing an inner fulfilment, being satisfied in that knowledge. Joy is certainty of the future and contentment in my ultimate destination. It's the understanding that above all else, God is consistently faithful and abundantly loving. It's the fundamental knowledge that Jesus has gone before me and defeated death through his resurrection. Within what I really thought was an astonishing blog by a 22-year-old woman, it was also profound in this distinction that she found between joy and happiness when enduring difficult times. Kerry described happiness as circumstantial. She said that happiness can be about what you are going through, but joy is an inner fulfillment. See, James in this letter is not saying smile through pain. James is not saying in this letter, pretend that you are happy in difficult times. He's not saying force yourself to be okay with your trials that you go through. Force yourself to be okay through horrible moments. Instead, James is saying, know the inner fulfillment, which is the joy of knowing Christ's victory. And James even says, count it joy, for through difficult times, we have an opportunity to grow in our faith, to mature and to become more whole. So where is the opportunity? Because when we're facing trials, it doesn't feel like this is an opportunity for growth. It just feels rubbish. Where is the opportunity in trials for growth? Well, James gives two answers to this. Firstly, he says that difficult times leads us to perseverance. In difficult times, you learn more about yourself and how you respond when you are pushed. It's easy to be one of those people that's kind and smiley when everything is going well. But when you're on the edge and you're struggling, how do you respond to someone when they push you to your edge? 
How do you respond to someone when they are winding you up and you're already struggling? Within these difficult moments, we have an opportunity to grow as we learn more about ourselves and we are pushed to those ends. In these moments, we have an opportunity to look at how we are in, uh, when on the edge. How full is our cup ready to overflow? Do we have something stored that as soon as we get pushed, it explodes? It's an opportunity for maturity. When we are facing difficult times, we understand ourselves more and how we respond to things. It's an opportunity to learn and to grow in that way through perseverance. And the second way that's slightly more hidden that James suggests trials can lead to growth is through our reliance on God. James continues in verse five and says, if you lack something, you should ask God for it. If there's anything you lack, you should ask God for it. See, with a trial, as a prerequisite of the trial or result of it, depending on the type of trial, we often have some kind of lack. It might be a physical lack or because of the trial, it could be an emotional lack. But it's in this gap, in this lack, where we have an opportunity to rely on God because we can't help but rely on God. We've got a lack, we've got a gap that we can't fill ourselves. So we say, God, will you come into this space? Will you come into this lack? Will you come into this gap? Maybe we lack the capacity or the energy or the ability. So we rely on God to come in, step into our lack and fill the gap. And as we rely on God, as we're almost forced to rely on God other than ourselves, We see him step into the lack and whether in his comfort or his action, we grow closer to God because we know more of who he is when we're in difficult times. So we learn about ourselves in difficult times. We grow our own perseverance. But James is saying we'll also have the opportunity to ask God to come into our gap. And in these moments, we learn about God. We learn about who God is in our difficult times. We understand his power, love and grace in a greater way. A really simple uh, example of this is from our Sunday morning sung worship. Let me tell you a bit of a secret about our sung worship on Sunday mornings. We meet together a couple of hours before the service starts to rehearse the songs and occasionally everything goes wrong. Occasionally, we arrive at 8.30 and plug in all our instruments and we realise, wait a second, no keys are coming through the system. What's going on? So we fiddle around with the keys and plug different things in and say to the sound person, are you sure it's, it's, it's not, you've muted it? it? Normally isn't. And then we fiddle around and then we realise, oh no, we've only got about half an hour left to rehearse these songs, to go through them. So we start going through them after realising actually the problem was just we didn't plug in the keys. And we start going through it and the keys plays a lovely introduction and then I start to play acoustic guitar, I play and I'm in the wrong key. 
And I say, oh, sorry, my bad. We'll start again. And everything seems to go wrong. We go through it all and nothing goes right. And then we finish rehearsal and we're feeling a little bit worried about what's going to happen on the, uh, when we start worshipping with the congregation. Are we going to be able to lead people into worship? And at 10.15, every Sunday, the worship team gathers to pray together. And normally, the prayers are about everyone here encountering God in the worship. But on this occasion, on the occasion where it all goes wrong, we're praying, Lord, will we not damage anyone's ears this morning? God, will we, will we not get in the way of people being able to worship? Will we not be so off tune that it just makes people walk out the building because they cannot stand the screech? And then 10.30 comes. And did you know? And I'm sure many of the worship team will vouch for this. Some of the best times we've had of worship, some of the best times we've had of worship at Riverside, where people have really encountered God, where we've really uh, sensed the presence of God in this place, have come after rehearsals just like that. Some of the best times of worship have come where when we've met together for rehearsals, it just didn't go well, but... At 10.30, God comes to meet with us. In some of our most intimate worship times, when we've encountered God in great ways, when we've, uh, have been when we've come to rehearsals and it's all gone wrong. And I truly, truly believe that the reason for that is, when those things are going wrong, we have no choice but to rely on God. When those things are going wrong, we can't rely on our music ability. We can't rely on our musicality or little that we have. We need to rely on God. And it's this growth that James points out. He says, as we rely on God, we will grow because we will see him move. So trials are a place where we can rely on God, where we're giving this opportunity to rely on God and see him move in that place. It's this growth that James points to in verse 12, when he says, the one who perseveres when under trial is blessed. Trial gives growth opportunities and growth brings blessing. James then moves on to the other key focus of this chapter. And the section in our Bibles will probably be titled Listening and Doing. And he starts this section with a proverb-like wisdom. He says, be quick to listen and slow to anger. And I read those words and I get flashbacks of being in school where teachers say you have two of these and one of these for a reason. And later in the series, we're going to be looking a little bit more about what James says, uh, what James says about taming the tongue. But James encourages followers of Jesus to be intentional in their speech, to listen to others and choose wisdom over wit. And in a similar vein, he encourages us to be people that do not get angry easily. And in verse 21, he says, get rid of all moral filth, as when we face trials, 
these things that are inside of us will spill out. Get rid of all of it because you won't be able to not get angry easily if inside of you there's all these things bubbling. Get rid of it all so that when you come into those situations, you do not anger easily. And then just moving through quite quickly, as it's already quarter two, James goes on to talk about something that we've focused on fairly heavily over the last couple of months. He says, don't just listen to the the word, do what it says. It says this, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. There's a recent study um, that looked at how much time we spend in front of a mirror. And this might surprise you, actually. The study found that ladies look into a mirror, on average, 16 times a day. And men, what do we think? 23 (laughs) times a day. And I've realised that there's, there's two possibilities. There's two possibilities here. Either this study is showing us that men tend to be vainer or possibly we're just more forgetful. So, now I've got to be honest with you, I'm not really someone that spends a load of time looking in the mirror and the youth will tell you that they can tell by how I dress. But in lockdown and then about six months ago, I decided to get brave and I got what's called a buzz cut. Um, If you don't know what a buzz cut is, it's basically what my hair is. It's very, very short, shaved all over. And when I got my buzz cut, I started to... uh, catch myself in a reflection or in the mirror, and I would, I would freak out. I'd have no idea what I was looking at. Who is this person? I'd actually jump almost as I looked at myself in the mirror. See, I looked in the mirror, and whilst I was looking at myself, I knew what I looked like. But as soon as I stepped away from it, I'd already forgotten. Because this wasn't what I looked like before, I forgot what I looked like as soon as I stopped staring directly at the mirror. And James is saying, when we listen to a sermon or uh, a book in the Bible and do not put it into practice, we're doing the same thing. So he's saying the Bible's not meant to be just a good read or an interesting book, but an invitation to live our life like Jesus. If we read the Bible or hear a sermon and do nothing in response, it's as useless as looking in the mirror only to forget what you look like as soon as you divert your eyes away from it. A couple of weeks ago, we looked, didn't we, at this parable that Jesus told of the wise and the foolish builder. The wise builder built his house on the rock, but the foolish builder built his house on sand. And we mentioned that the the point of this uh, parable is often missed. We often miss what 
the whole point that Jesus was trying to get across is. See, both the wise and the foolish builder heard the exact same thing. They both heard the same thing, but one of them did something about it. And one of them listened, kept listening, but did nothing. And Jesus was saying to have a foundation built on the rock is not to hear a lot of good sermons or to read the Bible every day. To have a foundation on the rock is to hear God and put it into practice. To have a foundation on the rock is when we read the Bible to then do something about it or when we listen to a sermon to do something practical as a response to it. It's not just to hear something over and over again or read so many books, but it's to put into practice our faith. And then James finishes this first chapter by echoing this sentiment. Pure and faultless faith, according to James, is this. We look after the orphans and the widows. James is saying that what pure and perfect faith looks like is to help those in need. What pure and perfect faith looks like is to act in your faith. And then he says, do not be influenced by the world. A world that looks inwards, a world that looks to myself, a selfish world, a world that pulls everything towards me but instead focus on this. Love God and love neighbour. See, James encourages us, even in this first chapter of his book, to be a people of action, a people who live the good news and a people that are the good news to those around us. And as we finish, I want to play you a small clip. Uh, As I was looking and preparing for this morning, I came across a clip of Simon speaking five years ago last week on James chapter one. And in this, right at the end of this talk, he sets a vision for the church. And I don't want to go into it too much. I'll let Simon say what he said. Can we have the sound up? If you go into our office, you'll see that phrase on the wall in a picture. It says, let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. Isaiah 42, 12. The reason that's important is because that's the church I believe, we believe, we're called to become. A coastland church that is going to give glory to God all up and down this strip from Faversham right the way down the coast through Home Bay. We believe that's what God has called us to be, a coastal church that brings glory to the Lord. And we're going to bring glory to the Lord in a number of ways, by being a people who are wholehearted in ourselves, in terms of our own worship to God, but also in terms of how we express that love to the people around us. And I think this is a banner over our church. We're more than just a church now based in Whitstable, in Tankerton. We've got a remit to be a coastland church that brings transformation up and down this part of the world. And as we grow in our worship, God's calling us to grow in our compassion. 
We want to be a church that does more and more that affects and touches and changes our community. Different parts of this coastland have different needs. Some areas are more wealthy than others. Some areas have more problems than others. But we're called to be a church that brings effect and change all up and down this coastlands. You might have a passion for one part of it. You might have a passion for all of it. You might be more passionate about where you live or you might be more passionate about what God's laying on your heart. But we're called to be a coastland church up and down this strip. And I want to encourage you as we go through the book of James, as we think about these meaty, punchy phrases that James talks about, how does this apply along this parish, this strip that God's called us to? What's it going to look like to be a people of compassion, of devotion, of action, all up and down this coastland? Because that's what God's calling us into. Great. As I listened to that, I found that really encouraging to hear that five years ago, five years ago last week, Simon was saying, we are called to be a coastlands church that in our worship and in our compassion make a difference in people's lives along the coastland. And isn't it encouraging to hear those words and then to look five years later and say, actually, a lot of things we've been able to step into the gap in a lot of areas over these last five years. So many compassion projects we've heard about all wrapped up this morning, but Pantry Project and Grow Baby and so many different things that we do to look after those in what Simon called our parish. And, and that's even grown from there, this vision of Faversham to Herne Bay. And actually, we are much wider than that now. But to hear this vision that God put on Simon and Keeley's heart, and then to look five years later and say, we have been able to step into the gap with our compassion projects. And through the action of so many people here in this room, through the action of so many people from Riverside, we've managed to achieve what God has, had put on our hearts five years ago. We've managed to be a people that, that have many compassion projects that are hugely impacting so many people across these coastlands. And now we have things arising like the Herne Bay Hub and All Wrapped Up projects. And in here, just as much as so many people in this room have made, played a massive part in allowing us to do these things over the last five years, in bringing us to where we are now, in uh, supporting and helping run these compassion projects, so many people have been involved in those things just like that. We are now at a point with more things starting, more opportunities to live out our faith, to live out our faith and impact our community. And as we hear this, as we hear Simon talk uh, five years ago, I think there should be a moment where we should be proud of how God's used us to grow these things over the last five years. But there's another aspect of it, an aspect that shows where we can stop and think, well, this is what can be achieved with God when we live out 
the kingdom. The only way that we've been able to start these projects and do these projects have been you guys. Have been people choosing to not just listen to a sermon or read a book in the Bible, but to live out their faith. So as we hear this vision, as we hear this vision from five years ago, we should be saying to ourselves, there's so much more to come. How am I going to live out my faith to ensure that these things can happen? How can I live out my faith to have a greater impact on these coastlands, on this parish, as Simon said? Because all of these things can only happen when we decide to step into it. All of these things can only happen when we decide to be active, live out our faith. And as we heard the vision service over the last couple of weeks, it's a moment where we reflect on what's gone and where we say there is so much more to come. So let's be encouraged, but let's also reflect on how we as individuals and as a collective can continue to live out our faith in our community. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you that you are such a good God that through anything that we go through, through our trials, you make all things work together for our good. Lord, thank you that you love us and that you join us as we go and live out our faith. Thank you that when we live out our faith, we are not doing it alone, but we are doing it hand in hand with you. Lord, will you lead us? Will you show us what you want us to do as your people? And would you call us out to be a people of action more and more every day as we live out a faith where we love you and love those around us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside. <laughs>